0: Hi, I'm Bradley Barth, senior reporter with SC Media. I'm here at the RSA Conference in San Francisco, and I'm here today with Tamer Hassan. He is the CEO and co-founder of WhiteOps, which is an anti-fraud and bot mitigation company. Tamer, thanks for joining me today. Very happy to be with you. Thank you. All right, let's talk a little bit about bots, because they obviously can serve a lot of nefarious purposes, uh, including uh, disinformation um, and obviously There's a lot of that with the 2020 elections coming up. There's a lot of talk around fake personas fueled by bots, uh, particularly on social media, uh, spreading all sorts of potential propaganda and disinformation, certainly an area you must be looking at. And I'm wondering, you know, we've had a little bit of practice on this now because we saw it in 2016. It's now 2020. Are we getting better at curtailing
1: uh, some of this bot activity that seeks to spread information. Yeah, so so many layers to that um, particular question. Are we getting better? And you know what? What I find the thing that gets us in life, even just personally, is um, our blind spots. You don't know what you don't know, or, um, right? And there's so there's layers of that. That's this. I don't think we fully understand what the ecosystem is on the other side yet. Um, but largely speaking, um, this is a problem of. Fundamentally, if you can look like a million humans, what can you do? And the answer is a lot of things. And it ranges from everything from account takeover and financial fraud to changing the popularity of something to um, we've picked up on bots listening to music. A couple years ago, we saw what the net neutrality vote bots used to flood the FCC comment portal with millions of comments with the identities of dead people done by a bot to influence a policy vote in DC. what the real um, question is, is what's on the other side of that and what does that ecosystem look like? I don't think we've, everybody fully understands yet. I think we're still in the education phase.
0: Is there more from, uh, you know, whether it is, let's say, a social media platform and that's where the, uh, the, the bot personas are pro- proliferating, um, is, that, is there more that some of these, what these platforms can be doing or what can they be doing more to uh, help fight that cause?
1: Yeah, you know, so this isn't a, this isn't a new problem. It, the, the roots of misinformation and what I'll call computational influence have their roots in psychological warfare. I mean, we, we, there was examples of this going all the way back to the early 50s when we were in Guatemala, for example, where um, we took over one radio station and did a few other things and convinced an entire country of an invasion, right? It's a, it's a form of psychological influence. While it was radios back then, it's since uh, has transformed into the social media la- landscape. The the thing that's gotten more complicated is that it is now a million devices that are infected or accounts that are infected or fake accounts that um, are used for influence. It's a much more difficult problem um, uh, in, in the social media landscape and, and broadly online. You mentioned before that you've even caught
0: these you know, automated bots uh, doing things like listening to music, as you just said before. I know that in certain cases, too, bots that have been used for, let's say, click fraud or something, sometimes you can uh, detect them as as being fraudulent because of the way that they click. And I know there are ways now that bots are being programmed to uh, even move uh, cursors around and things like that in ways that are more human-like. How sophisticated are these bots becoming? How much more human-like is their behavior? Um, can, can you still differentiate uh, the difference between a, a human and a bot or is it becoming more difficult to do that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's certainly become more sophisticated over the last decade and it's required a different approach. A lot of times we, we rely over rely on anomaly detection or patterns and that fails when something looks more and more human, right? It's the fundamental Turing test. Um, so for for this landscape, you know, while there are simple bots, you know, data center farms, device farms, what we see mostly doing sophisticated cybercrime is malware-based botnets. So over seventy-five percent of what we see, and we see over a trillion events a week, we protect for whether there's a human or not, comes from devices that are infected that have both human and non-human present at the same time. And so while um, you know the, um it, a basic bot may look obvious. Too many hits from an IP, for example. When it comes from a million infected devices that has essentially our cookies, our device IDs, our history. If I bought uh, a roll of toilet paper online yesterday, it looks like the bot that's in the background of my machine uh, also did because it's coming from the same, same device ID. It looks more and more human, so it's, that's certainly been the case. Um, it's not an unsolvable problem. It just commands a different approach, a different technical approach to the problem. You cited
0: an example before from
1: a few years ago of the
0: bots uh, flooding the FCC site regarding net neutrality. You take an example like that, where this is a government institution that uh, citizens are supposed to have trust in, or you even take something that's far less dire, something uh, simpler, like, uh, for example, uh, a retail e-commerce store uh, selling sneakers, right? sneaker bots, uh, the, the, the bots buy up all the sneakers before legitimate consumers have a chance to buy it up. In either of those two cases, as drastically different as they are, what they do seem to have in common is, is that um, having these uh, bots uh, essentially uh, mimic human behavior and, and uh, impersonate them, it would seem to erode trust in, in the institutions behind them, uh, whether it's government, whether it's a, a retailer trying to do honest business, it seems like what uh,
1: the ramification of these bots is that uh, trust seems to take a big hit. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. But it, it goes a layer deeper, right? We're talking about the integrity of the Internet. Is there a human on the other end of the screen or not is a very important question, especially when you're dealing with sensitive transactions or, or anything in general. The, the scary part about the net neutrality aspect is that that was a very simple bot and um, it was discovered with analysis. If it was anywhere like the malware-based botnets that we see on a day-to-day basis, or for example, the Eve botnet, that, the fraud operation that we were a part of last year, it may have never been caught, which raises the question of how many of these things are even, we're not, we don't even know about, right? It's those blind, blind spots, um, yeah. And, and just before, when we were just prepping for this interview
0: before too, you were talking a little bit about just this uh, vast growing uh, ecosystem that's beyond uh, or behind, rather, uh, you know, these various bots. Whether it's it, again, it's not just disinformation, there's all sorts of malicious type attacks that can be used to spread spam, which delivers uh, malware, perhaps uh, ransomware, or banking trojan. All, all, all of this is being offered and bought and sold in, in underground markets, basically, as a service. I'm wondering if you can uh, just comment and expound on that a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this is, um, botnets are about leverage, right? That, you know, taking what used to, you know, take a a large number of people, now a small group of people can do at a large scale. Um, You used to have to be the mastermind. 10 years ago, you had to be the one that could write the malware, know how to run a fraudulent business, know how to do money laundering, uh, move money across country lines, all of that. What's evolved is the same thing that's happened in modern day marketplaces and in the, in, in, the, in the black market is um, a market of specialization in services, right? So now the folks focusing on malware are different than maybe the ones that are running the entity or um, running the, the business front, right? And In the case of the e-fraud operation we dealt with last year, the malware operators were appeared to be different than the bot authors who appear to be different than the, the companies that were set up to do the fraud. And it, it's this ecosystem of services with each other. Now, what's fascinating is that the botnet landscape has become that marketplace of services and uh, what you know what we essentially see botnets as is platforms for cybercrime right, that you can run one malware one day, you can lease it out another, and there's even been an evolution of the marketplace models in fascinating ways, right, where not just are you licensing out your botnet, but you're also doing a franchise model sometimes and it gets fascinating, right, and what it fundamentally allows for is uh, specialization, so you can go really deep on your specialty and contract everything else, else out. Now this becomes more and more fascinating. We talk a lot about artificial intelligence, and you know, there's this m- misnomer that AI is going to actually evolve our capability to defend ourselves. When really, it's just another tool in the arms race. There's no, um, it's completely democratic as far as technology goes. All the- technology is democratic, right? That, you know, in a marketplace of specialization, on the other side, it's the same thing, right? They have access to AI as well. Uh, we were talking a little
0: bit about uh, malware slash spam slash phishing type botnets you know one of them that has been particularly prominent i would say in uh, 2019 moving on to 2020 has been uh, emotet there's been a a resurgence uh, in uh, emotet uh, activity Um, but it is also uh, in in a sense um, sort of uh, you know emblematic of of uh, a lot of these um, Trojan and malware-type threats that are s- spread through bots, and I'm wondering if uh, whether we're using Emotet or another uh, malware as an example. Uh, what what trends are you seeing, particularly in, in bot activity in this area, um, specifically designed to uh, infect with malware, and are these bots also getting a little bit better at making some of these campaigns more targeted?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and, um, you know, I think that is fundamentally an element of the specialization. Emotet's a great example of malware being forked and iterated on in a marketplace and um, with a variety of different groups behind it and a variety of different business models. We saw something similar um, with the e-fraud operation last year. This was two million infected machines um, infected with Covter uh, malware, um, which was doing ad- advertising fraud. The year before, it was doing ransomware. Uh, essentially, you know, as we, as I was saying earlier, this becomes a platform for any payload to run. Um, and uh, you know, even reading through the affidavits and indictments behind that FBI investigation is fascinating. The money laundering schemes, the different groups involved, you know, it's almost uh, mimics the, the drug cartel uh, trade where you have suppliers and distributors. There was a point where one of the suppliers got taken out and another one took its place but the rest of the ecosystem continued to mature and evolve. Uh, you know, I think we're seeing a, a, a lot of that across the malware ecosystem. I think Emotet's a great example of, of that kind of iterative malware by multiple groups.
0: Uh, you, you had also, uh, a couple of questions back, uh, referenced the uh, Eve botnet bust from uh, a couple of years ago and I think that's uh worth uh, mentioning and, and bears repeating because it, it was uh, a, a really uh, interesting story in terms of the crack down there so why sort of give us sort of the the uh the the, the 60 second summation of wide ops uh role in that particular investigation and and just sort of a,
1: a recap about how that went down sure yeah um i'll start briefly with a note of uh, of why it, it's important why it was an important thing for us to be a part of Our mission is to disrupt the economics of cybercrime. We believe deeply that the only real way to suppress levels of fraud in cybercrime is to change the cost model to adversaries, right? So raise the cost of adaptation, raise the cost of doing the crime. The more we can do that, um, the more successful we'll be. That also means becoming more collaborative and doing that together. That is an intrinsic advantage of the good guys, the fact that we can um, be collaborative. So in this particular operation, it's something that we uncovered early on. We, saw, uh, we see a variety of bot operations in our data pretty continuously. This was one of the small ones, but we watched it grow. Um, you know, at the time we were blocking it, it was maybe a million transactions a day. We watched it grow to a few hundred million over time and become more aggressive, more um, adaptive. Um, at some point, we reached out to, uh, we sent the lead to the FBI. We were uh, supporting another case from another bot operation we had uncovered, covered. And then we started to pull in our partners and friends at a variety of companies. Google and Facebook got involved, Amazon, Trade Desk, um, and, and a whole bunch of security companies as well. Proofpoint um, was a big part of it. And we put together this collaborative research team um, that um, you know did started to pull on the threads on what's behind us. and. You know, from the, um, the end result of that was eight Russian cyber criminals indicted. Three of them were extradited to the US and they're sitting in Brooklyn behind bars right now awaiting trial. I think two of them pled guilty last week. Matter of fact, I think a fourth one was actually brought in in the last couple of weeks. Um, but from the time that we sent the lead to the FBI to the time that they were behind bars, this is an extradition of Russian cyber criminals was less than 24 months, which is unheard of. You know, that mm-hmm. kind of case inside of DOJ should yeah. have taken five to nine years. But um, because of that collaboration, because um, also just a, a, of the scale of visibility we had and being able to pull every, everyone together on the research, um, we were able to support an amazing FBI cyber team and uh, and let them do their job.
0: Yeah. Uh, you were a decorated combat search and rescue helicopter pilot in the US Air Force. and uh, I mean, I would love to pick your brain about that a little bit, but specifically what I'll ask you is, is that uh, did you take any uh, life experience and lessons from that and apply it to your role as a CEO of uh, White Ops and, and what you do today from a, a bot mitigation perspective?
1: Yeah, um, you know, it's hard not to, it's changed, uh, it's informed so much of how I approach problems and problem solving in general, I think that's one of the, the bigger aspects of it. and. Um, even before I was CEO, I was the co-founding CTO for the first seven years um, where I ran the detection strategy and the engineering program and, and product. Um, and you know, right from the beginning, uh, my co-founders and I, we spent a lot of time at the whiteboard on how not to lose. And, uh, and we weren't really thinking about competitors in terms of the competitive marketplace. The real competitor is the adversary. That's the one thing that um, is true across whether i'm in combat or uh you know we're defending something against some aspect of fraud account takeover credential stuffing there's an adversary and there's an adaptation and there's there's a there's a game right and um so there a lot of that um carried on with me and the same with my co-founders where um it's actually the second step in the game that actually matters not not the first mm. step it's not detecting them it's actually Winning the adaptation cycle and making your adaptation cycle more efficient and cost effective than an adversaries and you know We even relied formally on on defense theory things like OODA loop if you've ever heard of that Mm -hmm. Um, Something that was adopted out of uh, the DoD into you know uh, Corporations and the fortune 1000, but it's essentially a model for how you model an adversary in any game. And it stands for uh, observe, orient, decide, act. It's the, the steps you go through, whether you're playing tennis, chess, or in a hacker game, or as I was in, inside of a, uh, the cockpit of a Black Hawk, it's how you model an adversary. So for example, for me, we applied the OODA loop extensively, not just in theory to win a battle or a war, but actually on a specific mission um, what you'll see is that the first step of the OODA loop is observe, and your goal is to either make your OODA loop faster or to disrupt your adversary's OODA loop. So that's where you see so much defense spending on stealth, right? Mm-hmm. Just don't get detected in the first place. If they do detect you, the next step is orient. They have to orient their, their weapons on you, their targets on you, right? And that's where you see a tremendous amount of spending in, um, jamming technology, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, um uh, observe, orient, decide, decide often involves a heavy communications, um, framework where you have to communicate, make a decision. So you disrupt, you jam comms, or act is actually pulling the trigger. That's where you have to shoot first. But right. The goal is never to let it get to the end of the cycle. Right. It's just disrupt right. the cycle at the first step. Right. It's the same thing here and it's about feedback loops. It's about managing deception. Um, it's playing the strategy, right? Tipping the balance so that, um, so that you win, right? How do you change the yeah. architecture of the game? All right, I have to close out on this
0: question uh, now. I, according to your LinkedIn page, uh, you uh, believe that Battlestar Galactica should be mandatory viewing for everyone to bring awareness to the. This is this is quoting you here to the future merger of humans and robots. So. I wanna hear a little bit more about why Battlestar Galactica is, is mandatory viewing. First of all, the old one or the new one, that's important to also know, but uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about
1: that. Yeah, well that's the best question ever, um, the old one or the new one, and, and um, it, it's fun to see a variety of responses, but um, I'm referring to the new one mostly, and it's, uh, you know, um, the Cylon detector, if it, for, for all of you have ever seen it, 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 is can you tell the difference between the human and the robot, and eventually, it's so human-like that it's actually human form, it's actually human DNA, and it's just architected in a different way. It's actually fundamentally a perfect simulacrum of, of, of humans, right, and what does that look like? I think it's, it's such a fascinating problem. And right. then, you know, the real question is, is it a bad thing, or is it a good thing, or is it just one of those things that it just depends on how, it, how you use it, right? Right. But uh, that's why I think it's important, um, but I also think it's important that we understand that the game we're playing when we're defending against this kind of uh, cybercrime, this bot activity, is not, you know, it's no longer, again, a bunch of devices in a data center. Where you can just say, ah, yeah, it's, it's a bot farm. It's actually very lifelike, right? It's coming from our own machines, it's replaying our own mouse movements. Um, not only that, you know, oftentimes we use machine learning to, to figure out what the normal distribution of human patterns are. If you've infected a million machines, you have the same capability, right? You can replay normal distributions at scale. So I think we have to get used to this idea that, um, the real problem is bots that look perfectly human and how do we address it at that point?
0: Sure. You know, there's a lot of good lessons. I feel like a lot of good cyber metaphors with Battlestar Galactica, right? Cause there's, there's good lessons about like network segmentation and isolation too, the whole, the way the whole thing started was that, uh, you know, the, the one ship was a museum ship. It wasn't connected to the rest of the network. And the Cylons infected and blew up all the other ships, except for the one that actually didn't have a connectivity to the uh, to the network at the time. So right. apparently there's a lot of good little cybersecurity lessons in, in, in Battlestar Galactica, Galactica, I suppose, which is, you know, interesting. I agree. I agree. Uh, just it, too bad that the, uh, it kind of all fell apart in the last season. But this is, not a, this is not a TV viewing podcast, but I could go through a whole diatribe about that and, and, uh, and Battlestar Galactica. But that's for, that's for a totally different podcast. Um, but thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it, uh, Tamara. Uh, that's uh, Tamara Hassan, CEO and co-founder of Wide Ops. Uh, I really appreciate you joining me today.
1: It was a pleasure. Thank you.
0: And this has been Bradley Barth, senior reporter with SC Media. Until next time, have a safe day online.